0: Come thou fount of every blessing, to my heart to
1: sing thy grace. Thanks for catching today's podcast from Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs. We're on the Front Range of Colorado bringing you these messages each week, and today you're in for something special as Pastor Al Pittman continues his look at the book of Revelation. It's one of the most exciting books of the Bible, not to mention the last, and today's message is called, Blessed for Success. So grab the book or open the app, but either way, join us in Revelation chapter 2. Here's Pastor Al.
0: Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are uh, the Lord's letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. We talked about that last week, and, and um, uh, Jesus is speaking here to, to the first church, as we'll see in just a moment, not the first church, but the first church that he's addressing here, which is the church of Ephesus. I've entitled this uh, message, this message, it's going to be a series of messages with this title, Bless for Success, amen, Uh, to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Uh, Many of you are probably familiar with the 1975 best-selling book uh, for men entitled Dress for Success, which was... Uh, basically t- telling men how to dress, uh, to be successful in business, and in their personal life. And then it was followed up by a book for women uh, in 1977, a uh, version for the women. But in regard to the seven churches of Asia Minor, Jesus exhorts them in chapters 2 and 3 to be uh, not dressed for success, but to be blessed for success. And the reason for his exhortation to the church, and we can learn a lot from this his Exhortation to the seven churches in Asia Minor. But the reason for his exhortation is that these churches, for these two, these churches, that they might avoid religiosity, just mere religion, and that they would also avoid being contaminated by the world. The Lord exposes, staying with the dress for success theme, the Lord exposes here really attire or fashions which are carnal practices which we should avoid within the church that are a detriment to our witness as a church, but also as believers in the world. And so we're going to talk about that today. He begins here with the Church of Ephesus, but before we go any further, let's ask the Lord to bless his word and to give us ears to hear what he has to say to us today. So, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would bless your word. We thank you, dear God, for your word, that it goes forth with your promise, that it will never return to you void, but will accomplish that which you send it to do. So give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying and hearts to receive your word. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Over at Creekside, amen. God bless you guys. Thank those of you who are joining us by uh, way of uh, the uh, internet as well. You're so welcome and we're so glad you could join us uh, today. Well, we begin here at verse 1, Revelation chapter 2. Read along with me. It says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, uh, write rather. And the angel, of course, can also be translated, uh, that word for angel, the Greek word for angel can be translated messenger or minister uh, of, of Ephesus. He says, write this. And he says, these things, says he, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, we know that's Jesus from our study last week. The seven stars in his right hand are the, are, are the angels or the messengers or the ministers of the seven churches. And the lampstands represent the seven churches. And he says, I know your works, verse two, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have preserved, persevered rather, and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and, not, and have not become weary. Wow. I mean, what a reputation. I mean, if by any imagination today, I mean, somebody will look at a church like that and say, that is a successful church. I think it's interesting before we move forward that the Lord starts with the church of Ephesus, that he starts with this topic and the topic that he's going to address here is their love for him. Because our love for the Lord, for the church, is the most essential thing in the church. Our love for Jesus Christ in the life of the believer is the most important thing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added, Jesus said. Our love for the kingdom, our love for Jesus Christ, must be first and foremost in the life of the disciple or the follower of Jesus Christ and so I think it's interesting that and everything God does has a a purpose behind it I think it's interesting interesting that he starts here with this topic he could have started with any of the others he's going to talk about other things regarding the churches in Asia Minor but he starts with love why because it is the most essential thing that we need to have as followers of Jesus Christ love for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in fact they asked Jesus uh, what was the greatest of all the commandments you know And uh, Jesus quotes the Old Testament, but he's quoting Matthew, and and he quoted it in Matthew 22, verse 37. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That means with all your feelings. God should have mastery over our feelings. Amen? Amen. Our feelings shouldn't dominate our lives. In fact, we don't live by our feelings. We live by faith in God's word. With all your heart, with all your soul, that is the vital, the life, uh, uh, the, the life of your soul, the, the, that vital principle, the very spirit, the essence of who you are, your very life, your identity. And then, and with all your mind, that is your deep thought, what do you meditate on? What dominates your mind? He says, you should, this is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If you don't get anything right today, but you've loved God, you've had a successful day. Amen? There is no greater exhortation for the believer or the church than to love the Lord thy God Lord, your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, the, the believers in Ephesus face a lot of uh, Challenges, the, the challenges I should say that they face, we face today uh, in our society. Just a little historical background on Ephesus. Ephesus was a port city located on the coast of the Aegean Sea. Uh, it's the sea between the mainlands of modern day Greece and modern day Turkey. Um, it was the fourth largest city of the Roman Empire. Acts chapter 19 in the New Testament testifies to the fierce opposition believers faced in Ephesus. And historians tell us that in Ephesus, that they celebrated at least 14 pagan deities. And the most popular among those deities was the goddess Diana. So it was a total pagan culture, total uh, godless culture, if you will, and uh, that uh, the believers were living in there in Ephesus. In fact, Diana, uh, being the most popular among these deities, these pagan deities, uh, they had a temple dedicated to her there in Ephesus, and in the day of Paul the Apostle and John and all, you know, this temple was known as one of the seventh wonders, uh, seven wonders rather, of the world, the ancient world. Diana is also known as Artemis. She was a mythological deity uh, that the Romans worshipped and also the Greeks worshipped. She was the goddess of hunt and of moon, of the stars and all, and of birthing, life. She was also called Mother Nature. Amen. Sound familiar? But it's interesting that there in Ephesus, Jesus is exhorting the church because he understood that they were in danger of losing sight of their love for Jesus Christ. Uh, I was looking in the international uh, standard Bible encyclopedia, the definition for uh, Ephesus. What does the word Ephesus mean? The name Ephesus means. It means literally desirable. I thought that was interesting. Desirable. Because the believers here had lost really their desire for the Lord and not knowing it. Sometimes we can begin to drift away from the Lord and not know that we're drifting from our desire, our, our desire for the Lord. They had more of a love for their labor in the Lord, and they replaced their love for the Lord with their labor in the Lord. They're doing a lot of things right. But the Bible tells us and Psalm 37 verse four reminds us that we should delight ourselves in the Lord. and He shall give you the desires of your heart. If you delight in the Lord, it is possible to delight in the work so much that it becomes our desire rather than Jesus Christ. And this coming week, I'll be at a regional pastor's conference. And it's so easy for even pastors especially to find themselves in love with the ministry and not the master. To be in love with the work. Oh, I love the people coming and oh, I get to preach sermons and stand in front of people. Oh, I, I, I've written books and I've done all this. We can fall. You can fall in love with the ministry and not be in love with the master. You can be in love with the things that you do for Jesus and not be in love with Jesus. It's possible to be in that position. And Jesus is aware of that because he tells them, you know what? I know your works. Amen. He knows our works. He says, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know your intolerance for evil. Oh, your, your, you know, your, your leadership. You have a, a leadership screening process. You've tested those who said they were apostles, but they're not apostles. You have a great screening process. You have patience and perseverance, and and, and you've done works in my name. And you're not weary. You guys are still going. He says, I know your works. I know your works. But he also knows their hearts. Sometimes we can come to church and say, oh, my works. You know, I came to church Sunday morning. I'm here. God must be pleased with me. By my attendance, and sometimes we can be a regular attendee coming to church and doing all the right religious things, and our heart is miles from God. And the Lord is not looking and judging us by our outward appearance, but by our hearts. He looks on your heart right now. He's looking at your heart this this morning. You say, well, I'm here, I'm looking pretty good. I I got my Bible. I even remember to bring bring my Bible this morning. Wow, you gotta be, Lord really loves me, you know. I smile at people, or whatever it is. Look at all these wonderful things that I'm doing. And God says, where's your heart? Is Jesus Christ first in your heart, in your life? Jesus knew that the church of Ephesus was in a place where they were doing a lot of great things. But their heart was far from God. He says here in verse four, he says, "Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Wow. How do you leave your first love? You're doing all this stuff? They began to drift. In all their works, they were drifting, not taking the time to love Jesus. Jesus said, I've got this one thing against you. You've done all these things, but you've left your first love. Remember, verse 5, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I love the fact that when the Lord points out the cause or our sin, that he also points out the cure. He doesn't leave us waddling there or, or, or leave us there languishing in our guilt, in our shame. He provides a way out. And not only that, he provides encouragement. He also encourages them here, uh, as we'll see in just a moment. But look at the remedy that Jesus gives to them. He says, here's the here's remedy. It's twofold. Number one, remember. Remember. It's in your text, it won't be on the screen, it's in your, in your Bible. He says remember, remember. Now we see an example of failing to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. Remember from where you've fallen. Remember how passionate you were for the Lord. What happened? Remember from where you have fallen. We have an example of, of, of failing to remember Found in the Old Testament, excuse me, the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16, let me give you the kind of the backstory. The Lord is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to the children of Israel. They had forgotten their God. They had forgotten their God. And so the Lord is rebuking them and, and, and here basically and because he reminds them that you know you guys have forgotten where you came from. And he, he uses as an illustration. Uh, uh, the a child being birth, just birth on the ground and, and is still in its blood. And nobody, everybody passes by, but nobody's there to help that child and, and all of that. And, and um, you know, the child has, is, is totally hopeless. But then God comes along and he, you know, he helps the child. The child represents Israel. The child also represents you and I. When we came to Jesus Christ, we were helpless. We were hopeless. Nobody cared, as David said, no man cared for my soul, and yet the Lord came along and he helped us. I want to read, it's it's, it's kind of long, but I think it's worth reading. It gives us a perspective on on where we were and how the Lord found us and what he did for us and the danger of forgetting what God has done for us. So here in Ezekiel chapter chapter 16, we begin here at verse 9, if you read along with me. Again, the background is that Israel's been passed uh, or, or has been birthed. They're just a child, hopeless child, lying there on the ground. And the Lord says in verse nine, then a little baby, infant lying on the ground. He says, then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you in in, in embroidered cloth and gave you the uh, sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and Covered you with with silk, verse eleven, I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and, and a chain on your neck, and I put a jewel in your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. He gave you a bunch of bling, Amen. <laughs> Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. Your, your clothing was of fine linen. Uh, silk in an, in an embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was per- perfect through, listen, my splendor. I love that. See, our beauty is not of us, it's of the Lord which I bestowed on you, says the Lord. He says, I found you. Nobody cared for you. You were still waddling in the the blood and and, and all of that, you know, know, having just been birthed, and and I found you, and I'm the one who picked you up. I washed you. I gave you some clothes. I put jewelry on you. I put a crown on your head. I cleaned you up. It was my splendor, my duty that made you beautiful. And sometimes we forget that as believers. David said, Who am I and who is my family that the Lord should be so good to me? And when we forget what the Lord has done for us, it's easy for us to not extend grace toward other people. It's easy for us to hate one another and hold bitterness and do all these other things because we've forgotten what the Lord has done for us. And that's exactly what Israel did as we read on. But you trusted in your own beauty. Played the harlot because of your fame and poured out your harlotry on every passing, every everyone passing by who would have it. Spiritual whoredom. You took some of your garments and adorned multicolored high places for yourself and played the harlot on them. Multicolored high places. He's talking about how they adorned these high places, these hills, where Israel would worship other gods on the top of those hills. They had forgotten God. Such things should not happen, nor be. You have also taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver, which I had given you, and made yourselves male images, and played the harlot with them. You took your embroidered garments and covered them. You set my oil and my incense before them. The things I've given to you, you've given to other gods." Also, my food, which I gave you, the pastry of fine flour and oil and honey, which I fed you, you set it before them as sweet incense. And so it was, says the Lord God. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters, whom you bore to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your acts of harlotry a small matter that you have slain my children and offered them up to them by causing them to pass through the fire? What is he talking about? He's talking about the worship of Molech. If you go to Israel with us, we'll drive past the valley right outside the walls of the old old walls in in Jerusalem. There was a valley called the Valley of Hinnom. And there they had erected Molech, this God. And the children of Israel, that's how far gone they had become. You know, far they had uh, forsaken the, the love of God. Is that they were offering their children, infants, to the fire of Molech in worship. God said, they're not your children. Notice he says here, they're my children. As we dedicated these two babies today to the Lord, they belong to the Lord. They're his. And we need to be careful, amen, how we raised them, amen. Then he said in verse 22, and in all your abominations and acts of harlotry, you did not, here it is, remember the days of your youth when you were naked. And bear struggling in your blood. My friend, let us never forget what Jesus Christ has done for us. You see, the children of Israel did not remember. They forgot. they Purposely forgot. And they pursued their gods and all of this. And they had forgotten where God found them. Remember where you were when Jesus found you? That's what he says. Remember from where you've fallen. Remember what God has done for you. Never forget it. Lest we become puffed up full of ourselves or begin to worship other gods and find ourselves doing horrific things, things we thought we'd never do. Remember. When we fail to remember, we are destined to return. Oh, not me, pastor. Oh, yeah. Been a lot of people over the years that have said, "Oh, not me! I can't condemn other people. I can't believe they did that," and then end up doing the same thing. When we fail to remember, we are destined to return to our old carnal life apart from God. Here's the Lord's second remedy. He says, "If you've left your first love, number one, remember, and number two, he says, repent." I love it. Listen. Sometimes we say, oh, I wish I was there to sit at the feet of Jesus and just hear him teach. He's teaching now. This is his counsel. This is what he says. He says, you know what, if you've left your first love, you know, sign up for therapy. No, remember and repent. That's what he says. That's the counsel of the Lord. Just that simple. And we want to make excuses and do all these other things. He says, remember and repent. That's the Lord Jesus Christ glorified his remedy for us if we have left our first love. Repent. He says, do the first works. What's the first works? Seek first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things to be added. Get your priority right. Seek God first. The first works of loving him. First you remember. Remember when you first came to him and, and how seeking him and praying and coming to church and all that was such a great joy. The first works, it was about Jesus. It was about loving him. That's the only thing that mattered. Remember that and repent and go back to those first works of loving the Lord. And you know, true repentance prioritizes your life. Amen? True repentance sets things right in your life. It prioritizes our life. Worldly repentance, excuses only produce death. As long as you are blaming somebody else for being jacked up, you haven't repented. As long as it's your wife's fault or your husband's fault or your parents' fault or somebody else's fault, you are responsible for your own sins. Amen? Stop the excuses. So, Lord, it's me. It was the man in the temple who beat his breast, Jesus said, and who cried out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That man, Jesus said, went down from the temple justified. The self righteous Pharisee was not justified or forgiven. True repentance prioritizes our life. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So true. So true. Not to be regretted. In other words, I don't regret the fact that Jesus is first in my life, that I love him first. That I put all the other things to the side and I focus on him. I love him first. Godly repentance will prioritize your life. And the Lord encourages them in verse 6 as we move on through the text here in Revelation chapter 2. He says, but this you have. He said, hey, you guys should be commended for this, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, the Lord says. So he encourages them. You guys, you know what? You're on the right path, but your heart is in the wrong place. You can be sitting in church on the right path, but your heart can be in the wrong place. Then the uh, Nicolaitans, who are they? Well, they were an early heretical sect of so-called believers. The word Nicolaitans uh, comes from two Greek words, uh, nikeo, which means to conquer, and then laos, which means the people of laity. In other words, they were a group uh, who promoted a caste system or a hierarchy within the church that basically said some believers are better than others. It was a system based on legalism, and Jesus said, I hate this type of system. Proverbs chapter 6, because the Lord hates any kind of division in his house. In Proverbs chapter 6, it's not on the screen, but chapter 6, if you're taking notes, Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19 Excuse me, the scripture says that there are six things the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination to the Lord. And among the six things that are listed there, or seven things that are listed there, one is a brother who sows discord among the brethren. Or one who sows discord among the brethren. Someone who tries to divide the body based on whether it's color or 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 some schism or whatever it is, the Lord hates it. In fact, he says, it's an abomination to me. The Nicolaitans were doing this. They were dividing the body, and they were promoting, if you will, segregation within the church, which is the complete opposite of what Jesus taught and what he prayed. John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus said, Father, make them one. Speaking about the church, make them one in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. How is the world going to believe the message of the gospel if the church is devouring one another? If we can't get along, you know, they're not going to believe the message of the gospel. That the world might believe that indeed you sent me. But oh, I thank God. When you walk into Calvary Worship Center and you see blacks and whites and Latinos and Asians and everybody and we're together, amen, and worshiping God together, somebody's going to say something happened here, amen. Amen something must have happened here that the world might believe that God sent his son. Oh, we've got some liberals and some Democrats in here. Amen. We got some Republicans. We got some independents or whatever, but those things don't matter when it comes to loving Jesus and being one in him. God's precedence is unity within His church. I don't know if you've seen some of the Oh, boy, the uh, Washington uh, hearings regarding uh, Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh. I don't know if you saw some of that this past week. If you didn't, you didn't miss much. Amen. <laughs> it was a three-ring circus, to say the least. But I, I, personally, I like Kavanaugh's approach to the fact that when he makes decisions, he's making decisions based on the precedence of the Supreme Court. He's making decisions based on the Constitution. You know, I can dig that. But he also went on to say sometimes the precedence of men is not perfect, and it's so true. As with the case of Brown versus the Board of Education, whereby the Supreme Court overruled this whole idea of separate but equal education system between blacks and whites. Overruled it on May 17, 1954. Amen. A year before I was born, they knew I was coming, I guess. And uh, Thurgood Marshall made a brilliant argument, you know, about the fact that separate is not equal. And I thought about that, you know, that, you know, it, this unit idea of unity and desegregation didn't originate with Marshall. It originated with the master. Now, the world needs all these laws out there to regulate what they're doing. But it ought not be that way in the house of God, yes. among the people of God. The idea of of, of desegregation, the idea of unity originated with our master, with Jesus Christ. He hates the practice of the Nicolaitans, of dividing one another. Jesus doesn't dislike it a little bit. He said, I hate it. Now notice something here also within our text, that there's an urgency in the Lord's voice. Let's not overlook that. He says, remember and repent or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. I'll remove your witness from its place. Remember, the lampstand represents, lampstand, seven lampstands represented the seven churches in Asia Minor. He said, I'll remove your witness, your light. The labor of their flesh was no substitute for genuine love for Jesus, because unless you have genuine love for Jesus, you cannot be a light. You cannot bring illumination. You cannot be a witness, a true witness to the world, because apart from love, Paul said in first Corinthians 13, we are nothing. Amen. And if we don't love Jesus first, we cannot effectively impact a world that is lost and without a savior. Remember the lampstand in the vision Zechariah had in the book of Zechariah chapter four. And in that vision, there was the lampstand that Zechariah saw, and then there were two olive trees on the side supplying oil to the lampstand. And Zechariah said to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The idea is that the power was not in the lampstand, that the power was in the olive trees supplying the oil to the lampstand. Well, who What's the olive trees, olive trees uh, represent? It represents the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. God says you can do nothing apart from me. You can do nothing apart from me. If you do not remember and repent, then the oil will dry up. You will cease to be a witness and you will be an ineffective witness for Jesus Christ. It is the oil of the spirit that provides us divine assistance. That is power, revelation, illumination and joy in the joy of the Lord, by the way, is our strength. That's why there's such an urgency in the Lord's voice. You've got to do this or your witness will fail. Your light will go out. The Lord isn't interested in in building more lampstands. Amen. He needs lampstands that are filled with the Holy Spirit. He needs believers who are filled with his power. Amen. But we cannot be filled with his power unless we are truly in love with him. And so he warns the church here. It's not about the lampstand. Oh, you got a nice lampstand. You persevere, you do this, you do that. All your systems are in place. Oh, the lampstand looks beautiful. Oh, come come to church and see our lampstand. I hope people don't come to church at Calvary Worship Center to see our lampstand, but to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. It's not the pastor, it's not the building, it's not the seats, it's not the worship band, it is the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. And we are nothing, we are nothing, without that power. Great lesson there for us because Ephesus, we know according to history, did not heed the warning of Jesus. And today, you can go see the ancient ruins of Ephesus, but where there was once a thriving church, there is no thriving church there today because they did not heed the Lord's exhortation here. And I believe their witness was removed. The lesson for us is that we must remember, we must repent or face ruin. Verse 7, Jesus says, he who has an ear, listen up. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Amen. This exhortation, he who has an ear, let him hear, is for the church. It's for all of us. Why do I say that? Because he says to him who overcomes. Who overcomes? John says whoever believes in Jesus Christ in 1 John. In 1 John. But also Paul tells us in Romans 8... Thirty-seven. that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than overcomers. So this, Jesus, he who has an ear, that's all of us who have overcome in Christ. Hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. What is the Spirit of God saying to you in your life? What has come into your life that has come between you and your love for the Lord? Is it a relationship with someone? Is it your anger Your unforgiveness. What is it that keeps him from being your first love in your life? Jesus said, "To those who have overcome, I will give them to eat of the tree of life." Now, there was a tree of life in the in the the Garden of Eden. We know that in Genesis chapter three, verse twenty-two. But He talks about this tree of life. You know, of course, everything on earth is kind of a uh, not everything, but there are a few things on earth that were created that God made, like, for instance, the Garden of Eden that are copies of what is actually in heaven. The temple, the tabernacle, was a copy of the tabernacle that is actually in heaven. And the tree of life was there for Adam and Eve to partake of. It was a tree of life. Jesus said, but there's also a tree of life in the paradise of God. Amen. And so, he's saying here that if you will trust him, If you will uh, put me first, if you will love me first, you will eat that which comes from God. You will eat of his faithfulness. You will eat of that which is divine, divine fruit, that which nourishes your soul. You will eat from that tree, the tree of life. And Christ came that we might have life. The Bible says that we might have it more abundantly. He's talking about the divine goodness of God here. But we cannot feast until Jesus is first. We cannot feast until Jesus is first. I don't know, we sometimes you know, remember that plastic fruit your mom used to have at the house. <laughs> it looked good. Sometimes you don't want to bite into it, but it, it wasn't nourishing, was it? And I think sometimes in the church, we're serving people a lot of plastic fruit. They're not being nourished. Because Jesus is not first. If Christ is not first in that congregation, not first coming from the pulpit, if it's not first in our lives, then we're just eating on plastic fruit. Jesus said, if you will love me first, then I can feed you that which comes from the Father, that which comes from him. Psalm 37 verse 3 says, trust in the Lord and, and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. We cannot feast until he is first. By way of application, and I wanted to spend all our time today on the first, this first letter to the church in Ephesus because this subject of loving Jesus first is the most important message you'll hear as a disciple of Christ. We must love him first. But by way of application, I'm going to say something here that may, some of you may disagree with, but you know, uh, I believe the Bible definitely backs me up on this. And when we love Jesus first, I believe that. I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about the world. When we love Jesus first, there is no need in His church for diversity training. Yeah. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about those who call themselves by the name of Jesus. When we love Jesus first, there's no need for diversity training. I'll I'll even get all up in your business on this one. When you love Jesus first, there should be less need for marriage counseling. When you love Jesus first. Amen? When you love Jesus first, we don't need to have a ministry for conflict resolution. When you love Jesus first. Amen? Because when you love Jesus first then you will love what Jesus loves. Amen. When you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm complaining about your wife, and the Lord says, I don't know what you're talking about because I love her. Do you? Amen. Who are you, who are you talking about? You know, my wife, the woman you gave me. <laughs> I love her. And, you know, by the way, love covers a multitude of sins and faults. I want you to see this. I want you to see that loving Jesus is the solution to a lot of our problems. I'm talking to Christians loving Jesus. I'm not asking the world to love Jesus. They don't know Jesus. I'm talking about in the house of God, we see Christians devouring each other, divorcing and and hating on each other and all these different things. in the name of Jesus. And I wonder, where is the love of Jesus? If you love me, he said, you'll what? Obey me. You'll obey me. And we say we love the Lord and yet we're devouring one another. Here's the deal. If you love something, I don't have to tell you how to love that thing. If you love the Denver Broncos, they're playing today, by the way. I don't have to tell you to go out and buy a Bronco shirt. I don't have to tell you to not spend money on them, amen? I don't have to tell you to not buy tickets. I don't have to tell you anything. You know you Bronco all the way, amen? You love the Denver Broncos. If you love your car, whatever you love, you spend money on it. You take time for it. Amen? How can we say we love the Lord and we won't even pay our tithe we won't uh, give a gift to God we won't even, even spend time and devotions with the Lord how can we say we love him when we keep all our money and all our time for what I want to do is he really first in your life oh I know I got real quiet on that when you hear that I mentioned the T word amen <laughs> my point is when you love something I don't have to come and say hey read your Bible when you love him, you don't have to come and say, "Did you, did you, did you do your devotion today? Did you pray?" If you love him, because the things we love, we take make time for. I know some brothers; they love golf so much, man. Well, they love golf. They're out in the garage polishing up their, you know, clubs, and got the new bag, got the new shoe, got the glove, you know, everything. And tea time here. Church starts at ten. I don't know if I can make it. Tea time's at. in the morning, be there. (laughs) We make time for what we love. That's my point, folks. I'm just saying. We make time for it. And if we love Jesus, we will love what he loves. I do not believe, and I know people will disagree with me. That's fine. But in the house of God, there is no need for diversity training. Because you should love one another as he has loved you. Amen. Amen. Regardless of their black or white, Latino, it does not matter. Amen? This is what it means to be blessed for success, to love Jesus first, to have a successful marriage, to have a successful fellowship of believers, to love Him first. Psalm 84, verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a son and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God says, I want to give you everything that's good. But you've got to love my son first. Love Jesus first. In conclusion, today is Rosh Hashanah. What is Rosh Hashanah? It's the Jewish New Year. Today, September 9th. And I thought, man, it would be a great day if we've left our first love to return to the Lord in this new year, according to the Jewish calendar. Our Messiah was a Jew, amen? amen. It's the Jewish new year. Great time to return to the Lord. I, I heard this story once, and I know some of you have probably heard it before, too, But about the husband and wife. When they were dating, they would sit close to each other. You know, uh, a lot of the cars back in the day, you know, you had that one bench seat, you know, <laughs> the guy could have his arm around his girl and be driving, kind of, you know, <laughs> one, one finger, you know, so. we called drive around, you know, and this couple, they were sitting close to each other and when they were dating and then we just got married and then some years went by. Now she's so far over on the other side, she's sitting on top of the handle. Amen. And she was lamenting the fact, oh, you know, I remember we used to sit so close and all this. And he said to her, Who moved? Steering wheel still in the same place. Who moved? In your relationship with Jesus. Who moved? What we need to do is to remember and to repent and slide on over in that bent seat and get next to Jesus again. Amen? And the Bible says, Amen. Praise his name. And the Bible says that if we would draw near to God, he will draw near to us. It's just that simple. Come back home. Come back to your first love. It will never be right until you love him first. More than you love yourself, more than you love your spouse wouldn't you love anything else in fact jesus said if you don't love me more than your family members and all of these you cannot be my disciple so don't even be fronting don't even be pretending you're a christian because until you love me more than anything you can't follow me because you won't follow me not all the way We moved, but he never moves. God loves remain the same. God changes not. We change. You know, we were Democrat, now we're Republican, or we're Republican, now we're Democrat. We like this kind of food, now we like this other kind of food with this and that, you know. You know, we're sagging jeans, now you got tight jeans. And, you know, and we, we all change, right? Fashion's change, we change. But God, the Bible says, changes not. What a good message for us that even though we may have left our first love, his love has never left us. And Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The believer may ask, where is God? To which one could reply, right where you left him. Right where you left him. It's time to come home to
1: our first love. It's only then that everything else falls into its proper place. That's a wrap on today's message. And as we close out our time together, I want to invite you to stay current with the weekly teachings from Calvary Worship Center. Did you know that you can find us online at cwccs.org? Messages like this one can be found under media. And I know you've been blessed by this ministry, so consider supporting us with your financial gift. Just click give at cwccs.org and make a donation. Next week, you won't want to miss Pastor Al as he continues the message, Blessed for Success. Thanks for spending time with us today. This podcast has been presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.